0: Good morning. Let's turn in your Bibles to Second uh, Timothy, and we'll be picking up in chapter two. Second Timothy, chapter two, and we come to we come again to another serious passage, one more serious passage about false teaching. And the majority of the messages that I've preached about First Timothy were about also about false teaching. And the subject about false teaching is prevalent in the pastoral epistles. You see that in First Timothy, you see it in Second Timothy, and also Titus. But it also you'll see it in other areas of the Scripture as well in the New Testament. But the repeatedness, or the uh, because it's the the topic of false teaching is repeated over and, over and over and over and over and over again, it means that it's important. It means that God is trying to get our attention. And that we must pay close attention to what he's saying to us. Do you remember what Paul said in Acts 20 to the uh, Ephesian elders? He said, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Notice what he says about these wolves. These false teachers will come in among you. They will, they will be among the congregation. They will, they will look and, and sound just like another believer. And these will draw away men and women from the church. They will deceive them. And they will rise up and say things that are perverse about the word of God and pull them away from the word of God. 1 John 2.19 says that they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. That's, that's a fact of the false teachers that are among us, but they're not really true believers. And the, the passage in Acts that we just read really forms the heart of what 1 Timothy was about and what, First Timothy, or what Timothy was facing in that church. And he was challenged over and over again. He said to wage the good warfare, to, um, to charge some that they may not teach any other doctrine. And there was, there was an example um, of Hymenaeus and Alexander, and we'll look at Hymenaeus again. In this passage where we'll we and he had to deliver both of those to those men to Satan. Later on in First Timothy he warns, Now the spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith, giving heat to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, and having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. And we talked about that, Sam talked about that a few months about a couple months ago. 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3, but there were, there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will, they will exploit you with deceptive words." For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. It is a solemn fact that the word of God, the truth of the word of God, is being attacked. It is being attacked by false teachers throughout all the the world. And um, God is truth, and his word is truth. Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we must, we look at the character of God and who he is and his word. He is truth. He stands for the truth. And on the opposite side, we have Satan, and he is the father of lies, and he is the one who promotes lies, and his mission is to take the word of God, the truth of God, and distort it and twist it, just like he did at the beginning in the Garden of Eden with Eve and deceived her and twisted what God had said to her. And he continues to do that even today. So now we'll look at our passage for this morning, which is 2 Timothy two, fourteen through 19 It says, Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, For they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. First off, Paul, remind, Paul starts off this section by saying to Timothy to remind them of these things. What is he asking him to remind them of? Well, I think it has to do with uh, the, rest of the beginning of the first chapter, or the second chapter. So the beginning of this chapter. We have um, him saying, in the beginning, the very beginning, he says, to instruct um, these things who, who, that you have heard from me among many witnesses, Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, and so he starts off by saying that this is, or that uh, this is, the section is about teaching faithful men, and he wants to remind the, he wants Timothy to remind the teachers and also the congregation as a whole that um, uh, of the task, and um, he, he wants him, he wants him to be. Uh, just as we went through each of the different illustrations, we looked at the worker, the, the farmer, and the athlete, and the soldier. And in verse 8, he says, Remember, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. He gives Timothy a reminder of the gospel. Remember Jesus Christ. This is essential to the, gospel, to the gospel. Jesus Christ is the main focus. And he didn't remind Timothy because he might have forgotten, but it's easy to be distracted by the truth of the gospel. It's easy to look at, it's to, to be pulled aside by other, other um, unimportant issues. And so he wanted him to take the gospel, or to look at the gospel and remember that, um, Because the gospel is centered not on man. It's centered on Jesus Christ. It's not what man has done. It's not what I have done or what I've done to earn salvation. But it's about one man, Jesus Christ, and what he has done on the cross for us. It's how he died on the cross for our sins, how he was buried, and how he rose again. Remember that Jesus Christ at the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. And we'll look at the resurrection in that section in, in a little bit later on, but it employs important points in false teaching and how they upset the truth of the gospel. So Timothy needed to remind these teachers to, um, and these, pre- these preachers and the teachers in the church, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, not to strive about... Words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. So, this message is very applicable to myself. It's applicable to any of the young men and the older men who come and preach and teach on Sunday and in Bible studies. And as a teacher of the Word of God, it's very critical that we avoid false teaching. And Paul gives us six reasons to avoid false teaching, six reasons. To avoid, um, of why to avoid it. Number one, it ruins the hearers. It, two, it shames the teacher. Three, it leads to more ungodliness. Four, it, the message will spread like cancer or like gangrene. Five, it upsets the faith of some. And six, it characterizes those who don't know the Lord. And we'll go through each one of those. The first one, it ruins the hearers. There's a very serious charge here that says, he says that to charge him before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit. And at first glance, you might think that, you know, to charge him before the Lord, and you'd expect right after that a, a serious grave charge, uh, maybe a serious gross sin. But he says, why, why is there such a serious charge about arguing over words? And false teachers, they love to get into arguments of words. And there's a huge, um, there's a huge seriousness and um, reason for this. There are people who love to get into intellectual debates about the Word of God. A few years ago, I saw two, two men arguing over text um, during the service in church why they loved to study the Word of God. And the problem was that none of the reasons were good. They wanted to study the word of God so they could show how they could argue better with other, other people and how they could um, debate the, the issue to the best. And they wanted to also be able to prove how big of a spiritual giant they were to other people. These type of people were, are, are seeking intellectual banters over obscure points of doctrine and then rather than understanding the word of God to obey the word of God, they're using it to fill their minds with knowledge. These kind of scholars like to, um, like to fill their heads with, um, sorry, these, these scholars like to prove their superior intelligence by winning theological debates. But the point of scripture is not Knowledge. It's not to fill our head with knowledge, but it's to change our lives. That's the point of the the Word of God. To use the Bible for knowledge without application is to misuse it. The point is we aren't supposed to be argumentative over words, over the Word of God. If a person is unwilling to listen to us, if a person wants to just jump into a debate, it is better to just end the conversation there and to continue it on. Why? Because the argument produces nothing. It has no profit. There's no value to it. And what's worse is that it ruins the hearers. It ruins the hearers. The word ruin we get is actually in the Greek word. It's where we get the word catastrophe from. Catastrophe. How long does it take to build a city? There's quite a bit of planning that's involved in building a city. There's, you've got to build the roads, you have to build houses, put in plumbing, um, electrical, um, bridges, commercial buildings are built. There's an incredible amount of time that takes to build a city. Years go into the planning of building a city. And cities are been, um, built over either long periods of time, either decades or centuries. And just building houses alone could take many, many years. Now think about the city of New Orleans, which is, which is one of the largest cities and metropolitan areas in the state of Louisiana. And in 2005, Hurricane Katrina devastated the city of New Orleans in a matter of a few days. The city was destroyed by intense 120-mile-an-hour winds beating on the homes and trees and RVs and then at one point the levees broke and flooded the city the hurricane did not show any mercy to the city and it destroyed everything in its path one hurricane was able to dest- to ruin the city of new orleans this was a ca- catastrophic event it can take many years to build up a believer in the faith. It can take many years to take someone who doesn't know the Lord and to teach him the word of God, to bring him close to the point of salvation. But in one, one moment of time, just a few hours, just a few days, someone, someone's destructive words can ruin all the work that has been, been done. And the damage can be so devastating that it can take years to repair or be even unrepairable. That is why Paul charges Timothy and tells him to charge them to not strive about words. It's important. The other reason to the next reason to avoid false teaching. It shames the teacher. It shames the teacher. Verse 15 it says be diligent to present yourself approved to God a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Earlier, Paul repeated the words that he is not ashamed. So in the, in the very first chapter, he repeated the words that he is not ashamed of the testimony of Christ. He is not ashamed of the chains that he is in. He wasn't ashamed of being tortured or being put in jail for preaching the word of God. And Paul's not ashamed because he is accurately preaching the word of God and he is not twisting the word of God in any way. There's no reason for him to be ashamed, but and Timothy should also not be ashamed of that. But he should, but who should be ashamed are those who take the word of God and misuse it, misrepresent it, and distort it to say what they want it to say. And there, are, there are a few characteristics of a of a true teacher who handles the Word of God correctly, and one who misrepresents it. A true teacher will be diligent. He will be diligent. And in the study of the Word of God, he is proven to be diligent. How diligent are you in reading the Word of God, to study the Word of God, and to uh, understand it, to memorize it, to live it out? How dedicated are you to learning the Scripture So that you can teach the Word of God. In this section, we are looking at the illustration of a worker. And what kinds of of thoughts come to your mind when you think of a worker? Someone who does work, someone who does hard work. It may sound obvious, but someone who works or someone who's a worker involves a lot of work. It means that they're not lazy, they're diligent. There are, there are many people who love to take shortcuts, but when, when you study the Word of God and you teach the Word of God, there are no shortcuts you can take. You must tirelessly without, you may lose out lose on sleep, you may lose out on doing your favorite activity, but it involves tireless, endless work. It involves hard labor. How much How much work does it take to get an associate's degree? Well, if you're getting an associate's degree, it takes two years of college and you've gotta study for your exams and go through uh, hours of classes and reading your textbooks and understanding um, and doing assignments on it. That takes two years. What about a bachelor's degree? That's another two years and more work. And then a master's degree adds another two years onto that. And then a PhD, you could, you could be in school for eight years until you are a master at a subject. Mastering the subject takes a lot of hard work and diligence. It requires devotion. And the same thing is true about the Word of God. We can't just expect to, to understand the Word of God in, in just a few hours and, um, or just, just reading the Word of God once a week, we have to be diligent and study the Word of God and spend the time. But we aren't looking to get our um, our B.A. or M.S. or uh, Ph.D. We're not trying to get one of those. We are looking for our A.U.G. It's approved unto God. And a true and a true worker is also a true. A true teacher, not a false teacher. A true teacher is approved to God. Ultimately, a true teacher is not concerned about what he is saying. I'm sorry. He's not concerned about what man is saying or what man thinks of him. He doesn't have to worry about what man has to say. He's more accountable. He's accountable to God. And so he is more concerned about the approval of God than he is about man. And with that approval in mind, a teacher is not willing to compromise on a passage just to please the te- those who are listening. He isn't willing to compromise and say what they want to hear but he is true to the word of God. He's faithful to it. And he'll he'll preach on difficult topics. He'll say the things that he doesn't want that isn't easy to say that, that aren't easy to confront but he's not looking for the approval of men. He's looking for the approval of God. A false teacher will do the opposite and they'll teach a message that you want to hear a message that pleases your ears and tickles your ears but they're they are ashamed workers next a worker a true teacher rightly divides the word of truth they rightly divide the word of truth that word that phrase really means to cut straight a craftsman who uses their skill and precision Jake knows this very well but If you're cutting a piece of wood on a table saw, you want to cut it it straight. When interpreting the Bible, we must carefully cut straight the Word of God, not deviating to the right or the left. We must accurately interpret the Word of God. And that's important to studying the Bible and and teaching the Word of God is is to accurately interpret the Word of God, looking at the context, looking at... Cross referencing other passages. Because many false teachers, what they do is they take the word of God and yank it out of context. And then they present their, their, their message, their false message. So now that we're going back to our, our points of reasons of, of why to avoid false teaching, the next third one is that it leads to ungodliness. It leads to ungodliness says in verse 16, but shun profane and idle babblings for they will increase to more ungodliness. There was a pastor who was invited to be a part of a Christian talk show uh, on a radio program and they had a caller that called in and he was a professor at USC. The professor started saying things about the Bible and about the Word of God, and the pastor asked him, are you telling me that you know better than God? And the pastor says, yep. And not the pastor, the professor says, yep. You know what the pastor did? He hung up. He hung up. And the radio host said, are you there? Are you there? Um, and the pastor said, no, I hung up on him. You see, you don't want to argue the Word of God, argue with somebody about the things of the Word of God when they are not willing to listen. They don't really want to hear. They've got their own agenda, they've got their own points, and they are going to contend about the Word of God when there's there's no reason to. And there's no need to, to stop and address every single question that someone has, because it will lead to more ungodliness. And these kind of conversations will not be profitable. We looked earlier about the ruin that it causes. And so for him to end the conversation was more profitable for the rest of the audience that was listening than to be hearing arguments about how he was better than God or how he knew better than God. It ruins the hearers. It's better for a person to be cut off in conversation. The phone call ended abruptly or even a, preacher stopped in the middle of his sermon than to allow destructive words to be heard by the audience. It's that serious. And one of the marks of the, the lives of a false teacher is ungodly living. Their lives are marked with ungodliness. And these teachers will actually tear down believers and lead them into ungodliness. They won't build them up. They tear them down. They do the opposite of what the Word of God does. And it's very sad news when we see the, that the church accepts, is more accepting of, of things that, and endorsing things that are completely against the Word of God. Endorsing things like theist, theistic evolution, women preachers, homosexuality, gay marriage, and divorce for any reason. Where do you hear about? Where do you hear these false teachers? Where do you encounter these? Where, where do you see them? Yes, it's true they they can be among us. They can be they can be um, in the midst of our assembly, and that is very true. You also see them on the radio, on on talk shows, on uh, so in so-called Christian novels and books. Women preachers like Joyce, uh, Joyce Myers. Paul says to avoid them at all costs. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you read and be careful, careful what you watch. Just because a preacher is popular does not mean that what they're saying is accurate. Joel, Meyer, Joel Osteen has a, probably one of the largest churches in, in, uh, in the United States, but he is far from the truth, and his message is, um, is wicked and ruins the hearers. So what should we do? We should treat everything that we hear just like the Bereans did. And the Bereans, what did they do? When they heard Paul teaching about the, the scriptures and the, about the Lord and who he was, they went back to the word of God and listened to everything he said and said daily they went back and looked. What does the word of God say about that? Is that really what is, is it true what he's saying? Does it really say that? That's what we need to do. We need to go back to the word of God on everything. Even if it's a, even a person like Paul. Even a person like me or anybody else that you know, go back to the Word of God and make sure that it's accurate. Make sure that it's true. Next, next reason to avoid false teachers is that their message spreads like cancer. Their message spreads like cancer. It's interesting. Um, in verse six, sorry, verse seventeen, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort. Paul mentions these two men. He gives, them, he gives out their name. They were re- recorded forever in Scripture as teachers who have been deceived and who have led others astray. The fact that Paul called them out by name is surprising, but it shows how serious it is and how, how much Paul wanted these, this name to get out there so that people would avoid him at all costs, get away from them. It's like Paul is putting a, a big wanted poster up. But instead of the word wanted, it says avoid or go in the other direction. Get out, get out of the way of these people because their message will, will spread. Their message will, spreads like cancer. And there is obviously that they had already had an effect on the church and they had an effect on other people's lives. And Paul wanted to get the word out Avoid them. Stop listening to these men. And they they really serve as an example to Timothy also of what characterizes a false teacher and what they're capable of. Their message is cancerous the picture of cancer is is spread is something that spreads rapidly through the body and it's the same thing w- with the church is that it spreads rapidly through the through the body of Christ through the through the believers the the false teaching the, the 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 lies in there can spread so so bad and affects more of the body of Christ and that's why we must be diligent to study the scriptures to understand it so that we can we can recognize when someone is is saying something that doesn't make sense, that doesn't, doesn't align with Scripture. Another, um, another characteristic of this false, these false teachers is that they have strayed from the faith, or they have strayed from the truth. It says in verse 18, who have strayed from concerning the truth, saying the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. At one point, these men professed to know the Lord Jesus Christ. They, have, they professed to know the truth. And maybe for many years, they were actually teaching and preaching the, the word of God in the, in the church. But at one point in their lives, they, they, they abandoned the truth and followed after lies. And that's really what the definition of an apostate is is that men who have fallen away from true biblical doctrine and have in- introduced heresies into the things that they say and they teach, promote as the truth. And the other thing is that they can't keep this message to themselves. They can't hold it in. They, they, don't, they don't just keep it to themselves. They, they want it to spread. They, they want the word to get out to other people so that they can also know these, these uh false truths that they're promoting, these lies. And lastly, their, their message attacks one of the their message attacks the fundamental truths of the gospel. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort and they said that they were saying that the resurrection has already passed and they overthrow the faith of some. We've already learned from First Timothy that Hymenaeus and Alexander um, were shipwrecked concerning the faith, and whom Paul delivered over to Satan. Yet we see them again coming up in this in this in this um, this book, and they're again promoting the error of the about they're again promoting error, and they're promoting error about the resurrection. They're saying that the resurrection has already passed. You know, they were they, they may have it's it's very difficult to understand what they are saying, but it's really not not very important to know what they were trying to promote. But they may have been spiritualizing the resurrection and saying that, yeah, it's already happened. Um and they were denying the fact that there's a there's a future physical resurrection of the saints. That there is a and that's you know, you might look at that and say, okay, what's, why is that so important? Why is that so serious? You know, it's just maybe that's what they believe and, you know, that's, that's their view on it. And um, this camp over here, they believe this view on it. Like, can't we just, you know, agree to disagree and that'd it, be okay? Not in this, not in this, not on this at all. It does matter because this is an issue of the gospel. This is an issue, um, it's a huge issue. It does matter. And I'll share with this, share you with share with you on this. It says in First Corinthians fifteen, twelve, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ whom he did not raise up, if, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Wow. Wow, the ramifications for not believing the resurrection is is enormous. It attacks an essential truth of the gospel which undermines the message of the gospel, and then it's not the gospel at all. There is no gospel at all. So be careful and watchful for attacks on the message of the gospel. Be careful on attacks of the essentials of the gospel, the the deity of Christ, the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Christ, salvation by grace through faith alone, These doctrines are absolutely essential and non-negotiable. If you change or take away any of these, then the message is empty and completely pointless. It's another gospel, and it's a false gospel. And sadly, my fifth point about why reasons to avoid false teachers is that they, false teachers, they overthrow the faith of some. They overthrow the faith of some. Now, who are these people? Are these believers? I don't believe so. No, these are, these are people who have professed faith in Christ. They, they have, may, may be shown interest in Christ at one point. Um, they have, but they have never truly believed. They have never truly believed. They may be searching for an answer in life or trying to understand God, and, and then the false teachers come and destroy what they have um, with the seed that has been planted. And they these false teachers they, they prey on the facts of those who lack understanding of the Word of God and they are easily drawn away. But lastly, their false teachers are character, characterized those who truly don't know the Lord. It says in verse nineteen Nevertheless the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows who are his, and let every name everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. This is a great ending to this section because the promise there's a promise here and a charge to believers. One of the things that is certain and unmovable is the solid foundation of God solid foundation of God, and that's the church. In First Timothy, Paul refers to the true believers as the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So those who are part of the church, those who are true believers, those who have truly trusted in Christ as their Savior, will stand firm. True Christians will not depart from the faith. They will not apostatize. They will not be overthrown by false teachers but they will stand firm and also they will avoid ungodliness. God ultimately knows those who are true followers of his. God ultimately knows those. It isn't a mystery to God whether or not someone is saved. And it says here we have a seal of ownership we have a, we've been marked with a seal of ownership. The Lord knows those who are his. Ephesians also talks about the seal. In Ephesians 1, it says that in him you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, to the praise of his glory. Those who, are, those who truly believe cannot be uprooted by their faith. They cannot be shipwrecked. They cannot um, become like Hymenaeus and Alexander or Philetus. We have been given a seal of, of God and it says that we have been given a seal by God and he says, I own you, you are mine. What encouragement that is. Romans also talks about that. It says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is not possible for a a false teacher to separate us, to, to shipwreck our faith From the Lord Jesus Christ, because we are secure in Him. Nothing can separate us. The next seal is also very important, too. It says that let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Those who profess Christ, those who truly know Him, will demonstrate by their lives, by living holy lives. They will demonstrate the reality of their profession by living holy lives. While the mark of a, of, an, of a false teacher is ungodly living, the mark of a believer is godly living. And that's really what distinguishes us from the rest of the world. A believer will depart from iniquity. For you were bought, with a, you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The, the, the second seal, the one we talk about here, is, is really an affirmation that, that, that shows that you are a true believer. And it's also an exhortation and a call to holiness. To be holy, for he is holy. Believers will distance themselves from false teachers because of the ungodly living and the godly lives. So we should separate ourselves. We need to separate ourselves from false teachers to avoid any error and to avoid any sin. We don't want to partake in that. So we have six Strong warnings here. Strong reasons to avoid a false teacher, a worker who should be ashamed. This one doesn't preach and teach the word of God accurately. There was a young man who studied um, studied studied violin under a man who was a a very world famous master at violin. When, he had his, when this young man had his first recital, the crowd would cheer after him, after each number. But the young man, the performer, he wasn't very satisfied. He was, he was dissatisfied with that. And he got to his final, last, last final song, and then the, the, the crowd roared up uh, and cheering and, and clapping. But the man still seemed unhappy. And when he finally bowed to uh, leave off the stage he looked up into the balcony and saw an older young older man up there an elderly man and the the elderly man smiled and nodded in approval then the young man beamed with joy he was not looking for the approval of the crowd he was looking for the approval of his master the lord calls us to be approved workers Are you diligent? Do you handle the word of God carefully and accurately? I challenge you to be a worker approved unto God who does not need to be ashamed and accurately dividing the word of truth. We must be looking to God's approval and not to man. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you Thank you so much for your word and for the, the truth of your word, Lord. We, we are reminded of this, uh, this passage here, Lord, and the, we want to heed these strong warnings here, Lord, and to, to as, as, um, as much as possible, Lord, avoid these false teachers and to, to not let them wrangle about words uselessly, Lord. We, we pray, Lord, that we might avoid them. We, want, we might show ourselves to be approved of, unto God, Lord, by our diligent study of the word of God. Lord, we just, we pray, Lord, that you might give us wisdom as we um, go about life, Lord, and um, to, to recognize false teaching, Lord, at, its, at, at the beginning, at its early stage, to, to avoid and run away from it, Lord. We just pray, Lord, and ask for, for wisdom. And we pray, Lord, that we might uh, continually looking, look unto you for our approval and not unto man. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.